Hey, so I know it's summertime and we're all on the go. And the last thing you want to do is be sitting here with a dingy backpack. That's right. You sitting here, you going to the gym, you traveling, hopping on the plane. Or maybe you just decided to go spend the night over his house and don't want to have to come back home to grab your shit. Well, I have the remedy just for you, sis. Our good old friends that was with Muslim Backpacks are offering listeners of this podcast 10% off of their first purchase. Head over to muzmmbackpacks.com, redeem our offer code WRYH10 to receive 10% off of your first purchase. Once again, that is muzmmbackpacks.com. Let them know Lonnie and Aaliyah sent you. Let's get into the show. That's my type, nigga. That's my type. Right, that's all I got. That's all I got. No. So you just need. So that's that's. No, that, that's 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 it. So that's, you just gonna get. That's it. That's the jingle. Just a that is the jingle. Just a little bit. Just a little bit. Not all a right. Bit. So in light of that, welcome back to Who Raised You Hoes with this classy, sassy, and just a little bit smart assy commentary to just judge you hoes. And it is now Sunday, afternoon court, because mm, we mm, don't know mm, what mm. happened on Mondays, because, you know, y'all hoes don't show up to court on Monday. Y'all don't. It's sad. Get your lives together. Together. It's, it's all the way. Get, get, get it together. Do something. Do better. Shit. <laughs> Shit. Shit. Howdy, y'all. Oh, child. Um, so, we braved the blackout, because both neither one of us were in New York. So, shout out to us. Hello. Um, even though, of course, I saw it everywhere that it was like a major blackout in New York. Especially due to the fact that it was mainly took place in Times Square. From what I saw, like literally from a place where you see nothing but lights even in the daytime, it was nothing but pure darkness. Everybody acted like it was the fucking apocalypse to me, but okay. Well, no, they had whole train stations that were like pitch black. <coughs> Ooh, spooky hood ride. You know what? Halloween just came early. You know what? I don't. The way you just don't, um, you don't do things right. I'm just gonna, yeah. What this is what we're gonna do? Um, this week, scroll on is gonna be. It's gonna be a debate session for scroll on this week. Oh, I feel that's right. I feel it in my spirit and in my and in my heart that it's gonna be a debate session this week. So. Um, I want to say for the most part, I think there are two main things besides the typical BS that we like to cover in Scroll One this week. Because I think there was about two things that just had all of you acting in like a fucking frenzy for a whole week. Hmm. Well, one thing in particular. Um, well, first things first, the ice raid started this week. No, they started today. Oh, that's right. It is Sunday. They started today. Yes. 
Um, I think one of one of the friends to the show, um, Johnny from Black Boy Blitz, mm-hmm. he actually gave tips on people that possibly might get visits from ICE. Mm-hmm. Like basically, do not let them in your house. Do not let them fool you into opening your door. Because technically, if you open a door for an ICE agent, yeah, they, they guess what? Well, that's giving them consent to come into your home. Mm-hmm. So don't ask for court documents. And if they still are hesitant or they still want to try and take you in, don't say anything unless you speak to a lawyer. But please, whatever you do, try and keep yourself safe and from those god-awful detention centers. And I've also seen that you do have a right to an attorney. You do have a right to one phone call. So if you... You know, your family or anyone you know is picked up by ICE, let them know that they do have rights and they do, you know, they are supposed to be treated humanely because we know ICE just popped up all of about, you know, two years ago when this guy, you know, came into office. So, you know, just know that y'all got rights and, Please know y'all got you know, rights. make sure you guys stay safe and if they knock on your door, turn all the lights off, say you ain't home. Literal fucking lay. Hmm. Um, so I didn't know. Uh, we're gonna cover some of the bullshit. Um, I didn't know that Soldier Boy was arrested or let alone incarcerated. He was, and it was shortly after Marriage Boot Camp that one. Um, that one season. It was shortly after that, but yeah, he got checked for this. So long story short, he got um scheduled early release from jail, which is actually today. July 14th. Um, so, more than likely soldiers out being an ignorant motherfucker like he always is. Mm-hmm. Um, so, I guess bless the mess. Bless it, Lord. Um, so, the founder of the African American History Museum was found dead in the trunk of a car. Yes. Now. Is, um, quite surprising. It's like, why? So what? I'm reading this from the shade room. Um, her name is Sandy Roberts Joseph. Sadie. Sadie, excuse me, Roberts Joseph. And she is the founder of the African American History Museum in Baton Rouge. She was 75. Her body was found on Friday, and the cause of death is still unknown. The vehicle was found three miles from her home, and it's still nowhere exactly what led, what led officers to her car. Now, first of all... I bet you somebody was stupid enough to put in an anonymous tip and... That's how they found her because that's typically how that shit happens. Or she was targeted, which especially any any older African American that possibly could found a museum and document all of the injustices of this world. You know, you already got a target on your back. But well, it was just, it's okay. Okay. Um, Auntie Jill came through with a word this week. Um, where she basically had something to say to the girls that were taking the cucumber challenge, where she humanized herself and said that basically she's an actress, and the incident that was recorded of her a few months ago, if you guys remember, when Jill was basically recorded showing, like, during her show or one of her sets, like she was giving Felicia to a microphone. Um, she said things became difficult for her after that video surfaced online. Like I said before in the show, I think around the time it happened, a lot of people that are Jill Scott fans, this doesn't surprise you because this is just regular Jill. Especially if you listen to the first album, seeing her act as if she's giving Felicia to the microphone does not surprise you in the slightest. Mm. So she was basically saying it's an inanimate object, um, it's not a person, and basically you got to think about the consequences that come when you upload that damn video. Like, especially for females. 
Um, you already got a bunch, like, not so much saying you got somebody's thirsty motherfucker already in your inbox. Imagine if they see you doing the cucumber challenge, and the next thing you know, you got a bunch of un times 10 unwanted motherfuckers in your inbox trying to talk to you. Like, when Lala Milan did that skit, at, uh, skit during the cucumber challenge, the height of it, where, like, a dude came to her with a cucumber, and he basically, like, telling her to basically suck the cucumber in front of him. Like, that shit, though, yes, it's funny, that's also some shit that can actually happen in real life. Mm. So, she said, think, think about what you're doing. She said, delete it, or just don't do it. I mean, I get it. I'm pro ho, but I don't know. There's just some shit you don't put on social media. I don't know. I guess maybe it's just I don't know. There's just some shit you don't put on it. Like, I mean, yeah, you're not thinking about it in the moment when you're doing it, but there's a lot of unwanted attention and ideas that you can get. Like, women are literally being killed for saying no. Mm-hmm. And it's like, you know, things that suggested this, they should put them on your social media. And we have long said, niggas are dangerous. Especially like, a nigga that's been told no. Exactly. Especially a nigga that's been told no when, you know, he's seen something that you've done to suggest that you might be open to it. Then it's not it's not to say that, you know, that they're, you know, faultless in this, but there's just some attention you just don't need. Mm-hmm. And, you know, as women, I mean, women, trans women, all of that. We need to protect ourselves in that kind of way. Like, just saying. I don't know. Maybe, I, maybe I'm canceled for that shit, but I don't know. We just need to be more protective of ourselves and our sexual energy because we being killed for the shit and we being killed for the for our autonomy in having sex and liking it and enjoying it. So, just saying, protect yourselves. That's it. Um, it came out, I want to say, about a week ago that Diddy wanted to possibly reboot Making the Band. Originally, Aubrey had spoke basically saying that, um, they would want Danny Kane to be a part of it. Um, of course, I, if Danny Kane's going to be part of it, I'm like, I would want all five members to possibly make an appearance, not just the three. Yeah. That's just me. But, um, apparently, Day 26 went on TNZ to say that they wanted to be a part of it as well. They said they wanted to be mentors, and I was like... Okay. I mean, it's a cute, it's, it's, it's a cute little idea, but I'm just saying, this is not a time bands are a thing. They're really not. And I get it, you know, there's that, that Korean band BTS that everybody's like, uh, all hot with uh, fucking pants over. Girl, and, okay, pass. I get it, but I just don't think we're in the era where bands are a thing. They're really not. There's like you find you find less far less bands. Exactly, and if you do find a band, they're really not. They no, mm-mm. nope. Because now it's like okay, it's too much money out here to get, and it's too much money to be split between you and however many other people. Just go out and get it by yourself. But I mean, I I don't know. I don't know. It, it might it might it might be a thing. It might you know sprout something but you know he hasn't had a very good track record when it came to putting these bands out here they'll come out with one or two diddlies and then that's it i mean we see and hear more of cassie now that she's not signed to bad boy exactly so i don't know um 
one Dwayne Carter. Um, we know him as um, Lil Boozy. Um, Lil Boozy Vern. Never mind. His name's Lil Wayne. So he had a tangent where he was saying that he was basically going to walk off the tour that he's on currently with Blink 182. Because he was stating wow, that. That's a band I haven't heard of in a very. I used to love them. He's currently on tour with Blink-182. He was saying that he was going to walk off and then retract his statement the next day. And a lot of it, he said, had to do with the crowd. Unlike, um, especially for a rapper that also can, as far as appeal, transcend to the rock crowd, I find it odd that you feel like the crowd isn't for you. Especially when you had rappers that either tour or did like sessions with a rock band and it actually worked really well. Mm-hmm. Like Jay-Z and Linkin Park. That's exactly what I was about to say. Because, I mean, I loved Linkin Park because I, I wasn't, you know, very much into hip-hop and all that shit. I was very much my mother's child. I really liked rock music. But when he, like, you know, came together with Linkin Park, I was like, yo, this shit is lit. Like, it, it works, but it depends. So, um, like I said, he retracted. He decided to go back on the tour. And... All is fine and dandy and pigs fly and butterflies, all that hot shit. So, uh, oof, child. Heads or tails? Fuck. Heads or tails? Well, I like getting it from the back, so tails. (laughs) So, Jermaine Dupree had made headlines this week. Um, and he stated something. That was a bit problematic. Um, no, he was asked a question. Instead of just answering the goddamn question and not being messy, he decided to be fucking messy. Let's and he see. got red for it. Let's see if I can play this for you guys real quick on the mic. Do you have a favorite right now in the rap game? Cardi B, Nicki, Megan yeah. Thee Stallion. Um, stand out to you? Uh, I can't really say. <laughs> Not a Cardi B fan? I have a, no, you know the reason why I can't say is because I feel like they're all rapping about the same thing. And I don't feel like they're, I don't think they're showing us who's the best rapper. I think they're trying to show, for me, um, it's, it's like strippers rapping. And I don't, I don't, as far as rap goes, I don't, I'm not getting who is the best rapper. I'm getting like, okay, you got a story about you dancing in the club. You got a story about you dancing in the club. You got a story about you dancing in the club. Okay. All right. Who's getting ready to, who's right. going to be the rapper? So, different. Yeah, well, what's I, the, I, what is the thing that you want to see if you're not like... Just more, I mean, I feel like at some point, somebody's going to have to break out of that mold and just show us, a, you know, talk about other things, like rap, just rap about other things besides that. Now, I got, that, I got something to say. Go on. Now, for one, who the fuck asked you? Mm. Two, mm-hmm. if they want to rap about dancing in the club, everybody's story about dancing in the club is not the same. Mm-hmm. And if that's their truth, let them live their truth. Who who cares? If that's what people want to listen to, that's what people want to listen to. What you hating for? You mad because you can't get Bow Wow's ass off the, you know, get, get an album? Cause he too busy kicking bitches ass, so I don't I don't know. Maybe it's just me. But then it's like again, who the fuck asked you? You like he was deliberate to me. He was deliberately trying to be messy. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Maybe is it just me? Mm-hmm. It just seems to me he was really just trying to cross that line to be messy, but not be messy at the same time. But she was messy, 
<laughs> you could have just said, you know, some generic ass answer and kept it smooth. But she would have thought, oh, maybe it's just not going to tra- transpire into um, a thing across social media. Well, ladies and gentlemen. Oh, it did. He got red. But then the thing he is, got red like, for filth. But then it's like, he's like, oh, nobody's, you know, showing how to break out of that role or, you know, showing me something different. Don't nobody got to show you shit different. Ain't nobody got nothing for you. Well, there's one person in particular that responded, and I'm going to play it right now. Who is it? So... I have seen a lot of people, right, that nowadays female rappers only talk about their pussy and shit. And now that Jermaine Dupri bring it up, now I'm going to say something about it, right? First of all, I rap about my pussy because she's my best friend. You know what I'm saying? And second of all, it's because it seems like that's what people want to hear. I am going to front because let me tell you something. When I did be careful... People was talking mad shit in the beginning. Like, what the fuck is this? This is not what I expected. I expected this. I expected that. So it's like, if that's what people ain't trying to hear, then, all right, then I'm going to start rapping about my pussy again. And second of all, there's a lot of female rappers that be rapping their ass off and don't be talking about their pussy and don't be talking about, you know, getting down and dirty. And y'all don't be supporting them. Y'all don't be supporting them, and they be mad, though. These bloggers don't support them. They don't give them the recognition. So don't blame that shit on us when y'all not the one that's supporting them. Okay, guys. So, so that's what Belkalise had to say on the topic, and I agree with her 100%. The sad part is that no one's taking accountability in this situation. It's more so there is a market and a place for everyone, female rappers included. Exactly. You have a bunch of female rappers that do not rap about their vagina, that do not rap about sitting here and getting a man for some fucking money. They rap about real shit. Case in point with Kaylee 47. Yes. Okay. You have Rhapsody. You have a whole plethora of lists. And people sleep on Drizzy so much because a lot of people think she just rides. I'm like, no, Drizzy sings as well. There's a lot of female rappers out here that do not just rap about their vagina. They actually rap about real shit and show that they have local capability. Just because they want to talk about the most powerful part on a woman body, on a woman's body, does that mean it takes away from their vocal, cap- their lyrical capability of delivering a song? Exactly. But then it's the same thing. Y'all niggas rap about your dick. Y'all rap about fucking bitches, and y'all rap about the same shit, money and cars and clothes and all that shit. So why can't Female rappers do the same. They can rap about their pussy. They can rap like a lot of people also forget on Cardi's album is a song called "Get Up Ten," where she talked about getting out of the strip club. Hello. Or having to work in the strip club because it was money. Because it's their truth. What a lot of people get away from is that the whole point of hip hop and rap was to tell a story, mm-hmm. and nobody can take that story from you because you experienced that shit. Mm-hmm. So. Him coming, like, he was completely out of pocket. Him just coming out of nowhere talking about some, oh, they all rapping about shaking their ass in the club and getting out of the club. Okay, that's their truth. Ain't nobody asked you for shit. Not to mention, you had artists back in the 90s like Little Kim, your Foxy Brown. Thank you. That uh, their, uh, their whole persona was sex appeal. Thank you. That was their whole persona. So why is on God's Earth now is the problem? Because you're hearing about it more explicitly now than you did before. And they don't like that shit. <clears throat> they don't. They Oh, they can't stand it. They hate that They shit. cannot fucking stand it. They be like, oh, y'all bitches are securing yourselves? Y'all don't give a fuck about us? Y'all gonna treat us like we treat y'all? Oh, hell no. Yes, bitch. It's a hot girl summer. We fucking coming. 
Not to mention the fact that some of the people that uh, fall under that umbrella would be your Megan Thee Stallions, mm-hmm. would be your Cash Dolls, would be your Cardis, would be your Nikki's. It would be your all the dolls fall in this category as well. Like not just talking Cash Doll, I'm talking Asian Doll, I'm talking um, Dream Doll. All mm-hmm. of these women fall under the category of basically exploiting sex sexual appeal, explicit, ex- explicit lyrics. So, and then at the end of the day, who cares? If it's a bop, if it's a diddly, who cares? People love it. It makes people happy. Let people do what the fuck makes them happy. Because nigga, this motherfucking Trump, this motherfucking Trump is about to kill our asses. So, let's get a little twerking. Let's talk about some pussy. And keep us moving. Speaking of um, y'all's president, segue. Um, Into. The hellhole. So. The state of the black union. Bitch politics is bullshit so he basically decides to go on a tyrant about congresswomen that basically opposed him um he released a real racist tweet this morning um three tweets in particular he must have had a really hard time taking the shit because that's typically when he um tweets the most angriest of things i don't know Probably sit on his toilet this morning at 5.30. Why would you put that image in my head? That's just so foul. Why would you put that image in my head, Aaliyah? Niggas be tweeting on toilet shit. Now, so, he goes to say, so interesting to see progressive Democrat congresswomen who originally came from countries whose governments are complete and total catastrophe, the worst, most corrupt, and inept anywhere in the world. So, we already know that AOC, the OG from NYC, okay. had a wonderful clapback. Couple was, tweets. It was quite... I'm not going to read all of them. It was quite enjoyable. But she definitely read him down for a lot of shit that he said. And this makes you think, if these people that support him don't think that he's not a white nationalist and a racist... This tweet showed that all because he told a couple of black, uh, not black, non, non-white congresswomen. Non-people of color. I said non-white. You know what? Okay, we'll rock. Yes, non-white. Bam, there it is. Now, I gotta snap myself back into the floor. Uh-huh. So, he told a lot of non-white congresswomen to go back to where they came from. That was essentially what it was. Like they were not born here. Exactly. So you can't say that he's not a white nationalist. You can't say that he's not a racist because he literally pulled a page out of the white nationalist and racist book. Mm. Go back to where you came from. Well, bitch, if you ain't taking me from where the fuck I was, I would be there. Well, not to mention, like I stated, all these women were are U.S. citizens. It's not like they are undocumented um, immigrants. They're basically U.S. citizens. They serve the public. Why would you tell them to go back to their country? That makes absolutely exactly. no sense. Exactly. So, oh, you gonna send me back to NYC? Oh, okay, cool. All right, cool. You gonna send me back to Michigan? Wow. Bad. 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 Okay. I ain't gotta see you. Bad. Problem solved. And stop doing all this ancestry shit. The fucking kits. Mm-hmm. Don't do that shit. Why? Nigga. That shit is a fuck. Yo. Call me a conspiracy theorist. That shit is a fucking scam. I don't even know where the fuck they stole me from. 
Oh, well. And then now somebody's got your DNA. And what do they do with DNA like that? They fucking store it. And guess what? If you watch American Horror Story like I do, the last season, they kind of put that into the story where it was basically an apocalypse. People were dying. And they were searching for people with, quote unquote, superior DNA. So they, the government bust up in this white boy's house. And they were like, you, come with me. And he's like, what? What's going on? And everybody, his family's like, all right, so we're going to go with him. No, we don't need y'all. We need him. He has superior DNA. They took his ass. Mm. So don't do that shit. And well, especially they need more people to fucking clone like us. Now nah, I'm cool. Speaking of DNA. Mm. Oh, I think I know where we go with this. Speaking of motherfucking DNA. Mm. Come on with it. When Jesus says lock him up. He meant it, okay? Mm, he locked him up and Come threw on, away Pastor. the key. Come on. So, um, it came out that, I want to say Thursday. Um, yes. Thursday evening. Because that was when you tagged me in the, on yes. Instagram, right? Yeah. Yes. Thursday evening, Robert Kelly, better known as R. Kelly, was arrested. I think it was here in New York. Oh, nasty bastard. He is being arrested. Well, first of all, these are federal charges now. This is different from stateside. This is federal. He was arrested on... I'm trying to pull up the actual story. Give me a moment. He's been arrested for child pornography and... um, I forgot what the other charge was. It was... um, Shit. Yeah, I forgot what it was. I know one of them was child pornography. Um, Let's see. I'm reading this from CNN. Nearly two decades later, Kelly is facing two separate federal grand jury indictments in Illinois and New York. The indictments released Friday alleged Kelly re- recruited women for, se- um, women for sex, pursue, um, persuaded people to conceal that he had sexual contact with teenage girls and sent hundreds of thousands of dollars buying back the missing videos, um, videotapes. Now, apparently, excuse me, allegedly, his team has turned on him. Now, they turned in over 20 tapes of him and teenage girls having sexual intercourse. Now, allegedly, once again, holding up my T.S. Madison voice, um, sign, allegedly, it's also stated that he had paid, like I just stated, he had paid thousands of dollars to friends and family to keep his secret. And also, it's being, allocated, it's being alleged that the families of some of the girls were actually paid for their daughters. And it's actually in the documents that they see. I wouldn't be surprised. I would not be surprised. So, and, you know, after the documentary, I think, me personally, myself and I, think that everybody on that fucking shit should have been charged. Well... Hansen. Because you knew it, and you've been cut. Co- you've been allowing him to cover it up for years, and you have said nothing. Nothing. You have you have allowed him to abuse little black girls, to abuse them. Black and brown. Black it? and brown. You've allowed him to break them mentally. He was arrested in Chicago. But continue. Yeah, he was. You've allowed him to break them mentally, and you've seen it. You went on this documentary and said you've seen it. 
you've a lot of you have caught him in various acts with different with multiples of these girls mm-hmm. and you have said nothing but you come on a documentary to tell everything so now yes you do make people sound right when they say okay so now the money dried up and now you you out here telling and giving up tapes you make that shit sound true when essentially it, it's it appears more and more so because nobody's streaming his shit. Nobody's going to his concerts. He has to cancel them. He can't travel out of the country. Hell no. So, I think he should not be the only one with charges because you've had people who were accomplices to it. You knew that he was bringing these girls around. You knew that you would bring these girls around him for, for him to abuse. Everybody from the top to the bottom should get some form of charge too. Because you aided in him doing that. Because without y'all doing that, he wouldn't have done it. Or I wouldn't say he wouldn't have done it. He wouldn't have as much ease and access to them to do that. Well, I still believe at this point that everybody needs some type of legal action. It's not just him. I feel like you shouldn't just have him out here by himself. I feel like everyone that's involved, everyone that's new, that new, needs some type of legal action as well against him as well. Charges, press, whatever they have you. But he shouldn't. At this point, I just feel like because there were so many accomplices in the crimes, I feel like he shouldn't have to deal with all of this by himself. Though he's yeah, the most exactly. guilty. He's the most, most guilty, guilty in the shit. Exactly. But you had people that enabled him to continue to do the shit. Exactly. Like that that one manager. He knew he was fucking Aaliyah. He knew it. He knew. And he helped him marry her. You knew it was wrong. You said on the documentary you knew it was wrong. And you still helped him. And you still helped him. You still fucking helped him. And then you knew he was bringing more girls around. And you helped them. You y'all all have turned a blind fucking eye, and all y'all need fucking charges. Everybody. Every fucking body. At this point, I feel like it needs to be an unbiased version of this um, whole tape. Besides surviving R. Kelly, hello. There needs to be a complete three hundred and sixty from one from his side and one from the victim side, and then one from the general fucking public that have to watch this bullshit and have to continue to deal with it on a regular exactly. basis. Speaking of charges, well. Ja Rule has been cleared in the Firefest fraud lawsuit. Because <laughs> wasn't it? It's funny. I wonder if he used that fucking logic he used on the documentary. I forget which one it was, the Netflix or the Hulu. Probably the Netflix one. But he was like, well, it's not necessarily fraud. We just didn't tell them X, Y, and Z. And the dude was like, that's, that, that's fraud. And I'm like, that's what the fuck fraud is. You, you know, you would take a switch or some shit, and that's it. Like, so apparently the judge believes that he was very well, that he very well could have been hustled, meaning very much so they could have been that old boy could have been sitting here and hyping him up to believe that it was really going to happen in reality. It didn't. But remember, Ja Rule during the actual like when everything happened, like you watched the documentary. I think I watched both. I watched both of them too. Now, if you remember, when they got to the island and everything, Ja Rule was not there. Ja Rule didn't show up. It was just, oh, it was just, I forget the, the dude's name right now. 
It was just him by itself, mainly okay. there. But it was just, it was a fucking nightmare. It was. It was a it was terrible. nightmare. But it was funny to see a whole bunch of rich kids live like poor people one day or two. It was just, it was, it that was, was that was funny as fuck. It was, it was hilarious. It literally was poetic justice at its finest. There's no bathrooms and no, no. We had to already. We had to run. We had to, run, we had to fight for toilet paper. We had to fight for a tent. And some of them didn't have beds. There was like FEMA tents and like we had cheese sandwiches and salad. Cheese sandwiches and salad. Bitch, a cheese sandwich will get you right. Bitch, please. No, that's no. You gotta keep it by. This is something that you're not. This is a disconnect. You have to understand. They paid thousands. They paid thousands of dollars to be there. They were being fed fucking cheese sandwiches they and salad. It. A lot of them asked mommy and daddy for that fucking money. So they, come they on. were out of money though. That's the whole poetic justice of the whole situation. Well, they couldn't get a refund. You know how poor people feel when you're out of money. You got to eat fuckers in the house. And guess what's in the house? Fucking lettuce, tomatoes, and cheese and bread. I still want to know who the fuck is giving them this money back. Mm. I would love to fucking know who's giving them this money back. Um, well, I think we have a few more uh, points to cover. Um, How to Get Away with Murder is ending after the next season that's coming up, season six. I never watched it. First of all, I still am little... Well, it's kind of... It makes sense to end it after season six, because if you go past this, it's like, what's the point? That's like what power... I was kind of happy that 50 Cent decided to end it. I think he's trolling, But then when he changed his mind, I was I think like, he's what trolling. the fuck? I think he's trolling. It's like, okay, the formula's kind of get... I'll, I'll still watch it. I'll probably watch it until I get tired of it. But it's still the same formula. How many more connects and bad guys and, you know, big bosses you got to fucking kill and how much fucking underhanded shit Angela gonna do and how much fucking shit... What's that child name? Notori? Oh. Tasha... How is she gonna fucking solve in a fucking episode? How like okay, this is getting old. Uh, well. And then now I see in this season they're gonna turn the two main characters against each other. But then guess what? You can't kill them because if you decide to keep the show going, who the fuck is gonna run the story? You kill those who killed the show. Exactly. Or I guess they may kill him and bring Tariq up. No, please, Scott. He gets on my nerves. All right, so I have one more question to ask. Mm. Are you ready? Mm-hmm. I think I'm driven up. Team okay. Joe Button or Team Crystal? It's Crystal. Crystal. And she beat your ass if she heard you call her Crystal. Now, and you're, why do you even need to ask me that question? Why do I need to ask you that question? Because you know I'm Team Crystal all the way. I want to be like her when I grow up, so. Crystal had a few choice, um, had brought up a recollection of an interview from ASAP Rocky before this whole situation took place in Sweden, um, where basically he was cited saying that basically he doesn't want to focus on, basically get his hat in the politics or anything Mm. that possibly can project his platform to use it in a positive light. But you need that pop them, them politics now, boo. You need the politics now because now you're arrested in Sweden and then you're in inhumane conditions. And they are not letting the U.S. get to you. How that feel, player? So, Crystal 
brought up a old, brought up the interview, and of course, Joe Button had a few choice words about it. He actually called her a bum on um, his podcast. Um, Look at him. Yeah, no, he called her a bum. Um, and of course, Crystal took to her Twitter to clap back at him. And basically, everyone that knows, and I, I do podcasting. We network with a lot of podcasts, but there's one podcast that literally set the bar, and it broke the. It basically opened the door for urban podcasters to come in and do their fucking thing, and that's the read. I would never, and no matter what goes on, I would never disrespect or take away what Crystal, excuse me, Crystal and Kid Fury brought to the podcasting world. So to sit here and actually say, oh, that I don't, like, basically you didn't open a door for me, is is really fucking disrespectful. Regardless of who you are, it's really fucking disrespectful. And she made that very fucking clear. Like, I paved the way for you. You came in on my. You came in on the back of my efforts. I. I just. I just. Mm. What Joe Biden was so mad at? There's a lot of things that was Joe that Biden. you want to silence that or do you want to um no I'm sorry you're being a little bit rude I know but silence it was actually. Court. First of all, that was your fucking notification of my Twitter. So let's not say that we did. No, 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 baby. Because my phone is... Oh, no. I know it's my... I know it's my... I know it is. Don't. I know it is. Don't. But whose phone is still up? <coughs> yeah, you better cough because I know you got some excuses. But anyway, let's get back into the topic. You now, won't. I'm going to beat your ass. You won't. <laughs> Continue, you won't. though. You know what? This man is lucky. He is playing my bachelorette party and I need that shit to be lit. I I need, sidebar, sidebar, I need some fucking tips. First of all, and I want y'all's opinion. Let's see who actually listens this week. Oh I need some God. fucking tips. I need, I'm going to start a poll out this bitch. I'm going to start a poll. As, first of all, I love Aaliyah dearly. But as a gay man, it's a little awkward to plan a bachelorette party. There are multiple men of honors who plan bachelorette parties for their bride friend all the time. Yeah, but I'm a little, I don't know. I'm, I feel a little awkward doing yes, it. Yes, but see, the thing is, I need to do it evenly. I have two people that are of honor in my bridal party. My sister who's made of honor and you who are man of honor. So, I'm not doing all the heavy, the heavy lifting. <laughs> I have a master's and doctorate, <laughs> so I'll, I'll interject here and there. But you know, I kind of want my bachelorette to be a surprise. There's and no surprise. There's no surprise. Let me tell. Let me y'all something with Aaliyah. I love her to death, but I see it coming now, and she knows I say this from a place of love. Aaliyah is literally—I promise you—we're missing a camera because she deserves her own episode of Bridezilla's. <laughs> I am not, yo, I am not a bridezilla. I do not have that much drama in my life. You, you're right, but here's the problem. I, here, I want everyone's opinion on this. <laughs> I promise you. I promise you. I. This is the thing when you have not one but two people that deal with anxiety. 
you have the bride who already suffers from anxiety, the, the, the man of honor that has it and still struggles with the shit every day. So when Aaliyah is venting on the frustrations when it comes to certain actual details of planning the wedding, whether it's the actual wedding, the bachelorette party, so on and so forth, is of course a lot of. Why are you inviting me on 10 though? Oh my God. So you imagine having back to back text messages like, girl, you do realize we have time to stress. Meaning, it's time, like, yes, you want everyone to financially be able to afford it. I get it. But we have a little bit of wiggle room until the fall when it's time to put pressure on bitches next. A little. Okay, because then I'm going to need you and my sister to step up and be like, look, bitches, we need to get together today. Not to mention, Aaliyah, Aaliyah doesn't know. I think I didn't tell her. No, I did tell you. That also, I don't know. I have to check with my best friend. My best friend's getting married too. And that's another bridal party that I have to be a part of. So it's like I have two bridal parties. One that I have to help actually plan the bridal shower. I'm a man. I feel mad uncomfortable going to like a baker. Like, can I have a bunch of penis pops and penis cakes? Like, I don't know. I guess it's the part where the guy part of me kicks in. It's like, I feel a little awkward. (laughs) Don't feel awkward. But, anywho... Share your suggestions, whatever may have you. Because I promise you, I'm just a little amused. It's a little awkward. I'll say that. <laughs> a little. Not a lot. A little awkward. But um, I think that's all we got. I think I ranted enough about the bullshit on our timelines this yeah, week. Yeah, but the way you're going at her like that... We, we, we went off topic. We went severely off topic. We really we did. Down, we, we really did. We really so let's did. So let's get back to it. Now... First of all, first of all, love Joey, but there's one thing that a lot of people fail to realize: his career was technically taking a nosedive when he discovered podcasting. I'm gonna I'm take I'm gonna take a page out of his book. That nigga's a fucking coon. Anyway, <laughs> I mean, that nigga's a fucking coon. Because how you gonna go as a black woman who only used the words of the man who's in the same shit and attack her he for it and attack her for the shit. She only said his words. It wasn't like she said it and it happened to be true. No, it was the nigga who's in the predicament who said it and it's true. Like it's his exa- it's an exact excerpt from an interview he did. Exactly, and she didn't say shit. She was just like, "I'm gonna leave this, this right, right here, here, and I'm gonna walk away. I'm gonna let y'all deal with this." Like, it's something he said years ago. Exactly. And then it's like, okay. Now you, you think. Now you have the, of course, fellow rappers that's sitting here and they're, of course, co-signing with, co-signing with you. But at the same time, the one, especially this, the one that shocks me the most is T.I. It's pro-black as you fucking are. You're siding with him? No. T.I. is not pro-black. I'm sorry. He's, he's, pro, he's, he's pro, pro-black. Pro black when it, he's pro-black when it counts. You know what I'm saying? He's, now, he's, no, I ain't, no scratch that. He's pro black for clout. Well, here we go, ladies. He's pro black for clout. So he's 
on the side when it comes to, you know, oh yeah, the court system and being arrested and cops and blah, 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 and let's boycott Gucci and you need to do this, you need to shut the fuck up about Warren Bundy expeditiously, all that bullshit. You pro-black for clout. You not pro-black across the board. Ten, ten, ten is across the board. You are only pro-black for that one that one moment that springs you into relevancy in social media and then you go back into your troll hole. So I really pay everything T.I. what T.I. says with a grain of fucking salt. Well. Because he's about as effective as a fucking football bat. So. Uh, that's all we got um, on Scroll On for this week. Because I just, I give T.I. very Oh, little. wait a minute. What happened? I have to shout out. Yes. A fellow dark-skinned woman. Who? Now, I don't think you've seen this, but Lashana Lynch. Oh, yes, yes. Seven. Come yes. on, baby. Yes. A black woman, not a white man, but a black woman. I ain't never seen one of the movies, but even if I pay for a ticket and don't go, I'm going to pay for a ticket. Okay. So, on that note, that wraps up Scroll One. We're going to refill our cups real quick, and we'll be right back. Yeah, I had the little refill that good old cup, but while we're here, thank you so much for your continued support for the actual podcast. I really do appreciate it. Um, please continue to like, which means you actually like what you heard. Rate. It helps us get us up with the rankings, especially with Apple Podcasts. Subscribe, which means you download. You don't miss an episode and share it with your friends. Would you like to keep in contact with the actual conversation going on even after the podcast is released? And yes, I do check my social media handles on the regular. For Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, it is WRYH Podcast. Once again, it is WRYH Podcast. I'm also looking to collaborate with other podcasters. Would you like to be on this show? Would you want me on yours? Fine. Email me at WRYH podcast at gmail.com once again it is wryh podcast at gmail.com once again thank you for your continued support and let's get back to the show i'm pretty sure my cup is full by now i think before we get on our rant uh not our rant before we even get into our um the thread i think Aaliyah has something she needs to let off of her chest so i'm pretty sure if you listen to the show you watch pose now a lot of y'all like me was tore the fuck up when certain news came to the house of Evangelista and the house of Ferocity. Fero- wait. Ferocity? No, not Ferocity. They changed it because what's a face joined the house? Who? Electra Abundance. Oh, she formed the house. The house of Winter. Oh, okay, never mind then. So yes, the house of Ferocity. Um that episode tore me the fuck up. Now I can't really go into it because my man Ivana has not watched the show yet. We don't know what's taking him so long, but you know what? We're going to work on it. We, we really going to work on it because he needs to get his life together. Because if we're going to record on Sundays, then I don't know. Yeah, I gave y'all a spoiler on when we record or whatever, but I'm rubbing his back because he's just... I'm upset. He's just a poor, unfortunate goddamn soul. You're not going anyway, to talk about me. There's many friends I have. One, Candy deserved better. There is no reason why, as a black transgender woman, 
that she got her love, her recognition, and her flowers when she died. Mm-hmm. There is no reason why there should be treatment of dark-skinned transgender women in that way. I get it. It fit with the story. And you know what? Shout out to Mahogany Rose Walker on Facebook. Baby, I'm going to tag you because she got me into Paris is Burning. I never knew about it. You never watched Paris is Burning? I've never, I never heard about it. I never heard about it until she posted on Facebook. And she They're told me about it. She was like, go, go look at it. She said, that's what it reminds me of. No, uh, like honestly, sorry to cut you off in the middle of your rant. Majority of the characters from the show basically come from it. Yes, the show yes. itself comes from yes. Paris's burning. Yes, yes. So, damn. But I'm give away how she died. You don't go in a room don't. and go put some headphones on. No, no. Just do all right. It. Y'all ruined it on social media for me already. But I don't want to ruin that one part. Well, I mean, there's only one way she can actually pass. So. Go on. Everyone I don't want to ruin it though. If I said ruin it, ruin it, damn it. Fuck it. All right, y'all see he gave me the permission. So if y'all see him tagging in some wild shit, I can read his ass now. So for the way that Candy passed, I would think that Lulu would have been the one to pass in the way that she did. Reason being, if you look back at Paris is burning. Look at how the um, the Latina oh, the uh, one woman, like a prostitute. Yes, mm-hmm. how she passed. She was found in the closet. That I one, I could not. I had to pause it for a second when I watched it because I felt the tears in my eyes because I cried then. In Paris is burning. It's sad. I believe only one person from Paris is burning is still living. Exactly. So I cried then when Paris was burning. I had to pause because I started. And you know I watch my shows at work because it makes the time go fast. I had to pause it because I was like, bitch, you're not going to cry today. You're not going to do it. Janet Mock not going to get you like this. So when they said how they found her, I had to pause again. How did they find her? I'm not telling you. It's too late. You're already telling them what happened. How did they find her? You already knew. You said this before we recorded. I knew she died. I didn't know how she I'm died. I'm not telling you. Because no, I'm not going to be the one. Then what is the point of bringing it up if you're not going to say it? Say you're it. Not, you're not going to do this to me. Say it. You're already going to Fine. Fuck it. it. They found her in the closet. Well, not they. But the cleaning people found her in the closet. And, you know, I would think that Lulu would have been that way. That would have been Lulu's story because, you know, it matching with, you know, the movie. But I guess because she's going to be on American Horror Story because, you know, that's my show. September 18th. Let's go. She's going to be on American Horror Story. So she transitioned on to something better, but she deserved fucking better. I can honestly say, and um, because I've experienced this before, um... I want to say about a year, probably two years ago, I had one of my friends um, was found. I'm not going to say his name. Mm. He was found in a park in the trunk of his car. Um, and it's just like the actual 
things that were being said around the time that he passed. It just, it was disgusting. It was literally fucking disgusting to see some of the things. Not to mention, he was not out to his family. Mm. So that was like the worst and wrong, like wrongest way for his family to find out about his personal life and his personal choices and how he lived his life. Yeah. Not, it just, it, it, it took a lot. But we're going to cut this here because the actual thread needs to start and I have to actually input the actual interview. Yes, we do. We have a so, very wonderful guest. Very, yes. very wonderful guest. So stay tuned. I'm about to actually plug it in. Hello. Okay, we're back from commercial break. Um, let me see. Stop recording. Is it on? Is it on? Yes, he knows he's being recorded. Can we start? I guess it's not showing me a time. Oh, here we go. And we're back. <laughs> um, <laughs> Miami, we're Skype, so it doesn't sound like how we normally sound, and that's perfectly fine. Um, this week on this thread, we actually have a guest. I love guests. We love guests around here. Um, he's actually one of my friends, and he's also an author, first time author, might I add. Um, his name is, oh, I'm sorry, I'm so rude. I'll introduce my guest. Why don't you introduce yourself? Um, um, hello, my name is DeAndre Mathis. I'll throw the book for walls. Please go get it on Amazon. It'll be everywhere soon. Um, <laughs> I'm not sure well, what to say. Well, we know you're here to discuss a book. Yes, that is very much true. By the way, did you read it? Did you like it? We have read it. I'm not gonna, I'm gonna be honest. I'm gonna be very frank with you. Oh, Lord. That shit made my anxiety go from one to a hundred. Honest to God, of all the books I read, this was the one book that, because my anxiety is like really spiking at the moment, I could not finish it. I finished it, I pushed through. Um, I guess that was the the soldier in me was like, you know what, fuck it, we're gonna just go balls to the wall with it and finish it. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I it's, it's one of those books that it's, you guys. Oh my yeah, god! So <laughs> that leads me to my do question. You, hold on one second. Do you mind if we? Do you want us to get spoilers or do you just want to ask broad questions? Broad questions. I I mean, you can ask some spoilers in there. I may or may not answer them. Okay. He might just say no comment. He might just say, <laughs> "What exactly led you to writing Four Walls?" Bitch, throw my question. <laughs> <laughs> um. So honestly, uh, three years ago, three or four years ago, I was in a really, 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 really uh, depressive mindset. Um, the first actual first chapters of the book is, you know, things from my diary that I used to write daily. Um, to the point where uh, how he mentioned how he was on the verge of trying to kill himself and banging his head on the wall, trying to work out and feeling like he can't do anything. And that's how I felt personally in that space. Um, and then afterwards, um, I actually showed it to a couple of close friends at the time. And I, they told me this was beautiful. And to me, I didn't think it was beautiful. I'm just, you know, depressed. Depressed as hell. <laughs> so... <laughs> They told me to turn it into a story, and I actually that's what I did, and that's how Four Walls became Four Walls. So, hmm. so basically, if you guys start to read the book, it starts off so dark. My question is, was that a symbolism of 
either depression or anxiety. Yes, it, w- it had a lot to do with anxiety, a lot to do with depression. Um, usually when I speak to somebody about the book, the very first thing they, they usually say is there's a lot of anxiety in this book. It gives me anxiety. Um, okay so that so that's where I figured it was coming from because I saw how it was kind of here and there and now that you mentioned that it was about anxiety for me and experiencing my own anxiety that's how it is it's like it's it's here and there and you know your thoughts lead you to one spot and then you go to another and then you go to something else and then you come back to that thought and then you go to something else and you go back to the other thought. So I definitely see from what you said by it represents anxiety. I actually kind of like how you portrayed it. That that actually makes more sense now. Mm-hmm. Yes. Um, well, I mean, another part of that too is that I left it, I kind of, I don't want to say I left it a clean slate, but I kind of made some things, some, so many things unknown, like his race, um, his name, all these questions. I wanted the reader to actually put themselves in the situation. I, I made it a black and white, and I wanted the reader to put color to it themselves. Because um, I wanted I wanted everybody that I spoke to to have a completely different experience with the book than from what I wrote it. And usually when I speak to people about the book, everybody has something completely different from what they got out of it or what they think is happening because they put themselves into it. And it's not just Gray's story. It's Gray's story. It's great. It's you reading Gray's story, but it's also your story and you reading your story while reading Gray's story. It's a lot. <laughs> so my my question is, it Lord, the book just transitions and you get lost in how it transitioned or what took place and why. <laughs> it's more of my question would be. Who inspired this style of writing? Honestly, you... nobody. <laughs> Seriously? Nobody. Um, I'm not going to lie to you. One day, I just started writing. Um, I'm not really much of a reader. I used to be a, a reader when I was in middle school, high school. I used to read books here and there. But mm-hmm. after high school, I sat down and just started writing. I've, I've told um, Fabian that I've been sitting on this book for three years. And Fabian is actually the one... I think I got maybe four chapters, 14 chapters deep, and I stopped writing on it. Fabian's actually the one that told me, you need to finish this. You you got to finish this. This is going to be epic. Um, yes. Shout out to Fabian. Yes. Out to Fabian. <laughs> Mr. Mitchell. Yes. Besides, of course, Fabian, who is who would be a writer, writers that inspired you to write the book? Um, Neil Sherterman. For sure. Neil Shulterman is, when I grew up, all of his fantasy books spoke to me in a major, major way, especially the trilogy um, Everlast. I don't know if y'all know that, but it is like one of my favorite series of all time. Mm -hmm. Um, Of course, the Harry Potter books. Um, The Hunger Games series was definitely a... uh, a major, major inspiration to me. That's good. Um, mm-hmm. But besides that, honestly, it kind of, I kind of just channeled it all. Like, I would just sit down. I actually wrote the rest of the book at my desk at work. And I would just sit down and it would just all come out of me and flow out of me. Um, mm-hmm. I actually have a couple other books that I'm going to put out later, but just, yeah. 
keep it on the side, you know? <laughs> well, we can link them, you know, when we finish the podcast so that way people can go and read your books because I definitely, you know, now that you have explained it, I definitely got a grasp on it. Mm-hmm. And I'm kind of having my own epiphany and I'm like excited to go home and reread it again. <laughs> and be like, oh shit, I missed that. Or, oh, like I didn't really, gar- you know, grasp onto that. So I'm really, um, it was really interesting to uh, to read. Um, do you have any figures in this in this book that are inspired by real people? Mm. Um, no, all of everything that I put into the book, uh, I kind of switched it up and took it into my personal life. Like um, mm-hmm. the part where Gray actually fights his dad. Um, yes. There was a point when I was a little kid and my dad actually, I I grew up with, you know, trying to fight my dad because my dad used to beat my ass. So um, <laughs> that was a lot of that stuff is kind of personal experiences for me that I've just taken up and switched it around. And some of that stuff, it just kind of came out of like a whole different space. I don't even some of it is just Gray's story, to be quite honest with you. But some of it did come from a place for me internally that I was trying to get out. Um, and that's kind of why like, I want to have these discussions. I eventually want to have group discussions or discussions about situations like this, domestic violence, um, anxiety, depression, um, questioning uh, your spirituality, just everything. That's why I, at the book, the um, end of the book, I pretty much asked <laughs> questions. And at the end of it, I said, question everything. Cause it mm-hmm. makes you question everything. Yes. Yes, you're right. And that's what I, I kind of held on to at the end of it. And it was kind of, it kind of like it lingered in my head, like question everything, question everything. But then I was like, you know what? That's what my anxiety does to me. It uh. makes me question everything and second guess everything that I have to process that comes in. Mm-hmm. And it was, and I kind of related to, you know, Gray in that sense where. He, he was he was witnessing what was going on, uh-huh. but in the midst of his fear, he was trying to rationalize it at the same time. And that's what, you know, kind of stuck with me when it said, you know, when at when the end it said question everything. And I was like, oh, shit. Like, and I was like, you know, that's why he was, you know, trying to question and trying to gain some type of understanding of everything that was going on, uh-huh. even though he didn't know what was going on. So... I, I really oh. like that, that notion. <laughs> yes. I mean, um, some of the people that I've spoke to about the book, uh, they tell me every time they read it, they learn something different. So I definitely encourage you to read it multiple times. Um, because a lot of people, a lot of people that I know have read the book, they're waiting on the next book because they want to know what's gonna happen. But if you read it, like really, really delve into it, it tells you like what's really happening. And there's yeah. also um Little secret codes in the book here and there. I'm not going to get into that, but <laughs> I definitely encourage you to read it again, especially after this conversation. Um, can I ask you a question, actually? What did y'all sure. think of it switching from first and third person? Uh, you you, you want to go first on that one? I want you to go first, so I'll develop my thought on that. What I thought about it switching from first and third person, um... It was interesting because I'm a reader mm-hmm. and I like books 
And, you know, you typically don't see a lot of books like that, that switch between different, um, different sections of consciousness. For I guess I for like a better word, but like that. Um, that for me it gave me that sense that not only was I starting to assimilate with Gray, mm-hmm. I was starting to make myself you know him and his thoughts were mine, and I was feeling everything he was feeling. But then also mm-hmm. that that other presence drew me out of that, and it felt like I was watching him. So now it was like I was in two different roles. I was gray, but I was also watching him at the same time. Mm-hmm. It's kind of like a black mirror type of thing. It was kind of weird, but it was fun. The funny part was when I <laughs> all that can come to my mind besides black mirror was like I thought out um Alfred, um Alfred Hitchcock. Yes. Um Ooh. I thought Twilight Zone. Mm-hmm. Yes. It, yes. It took me to like because number one, I'm claustrophobic. So starting the book automatically and number one, there's no doors and there's no windows. Mm. Bitch. My anxiety just was like, oh no. This is not this this can't be this can't we cannot deal we can't read shit like this. This is too much. And it was funny because I was thinking after reading it, I went back through the details and thinking of the no doors and no walls, to me it sounded like this is me drawing into myself because I'm an introvert. So I very much draw into myself when I'm either very overwhelmed, I'm stressed out, I'm anxious or I'm depressed. So I thought of it as Gray drawing into himself and checking a lot of the things that have happened in his life that have got him to the current state that he's at to where he has to draw into himself and take care of himself. Yes, because if you notice... The moments where he did figure something out or when things weren't so heavy on him were the moments when he actually sat down and breathed and took the moment mm-hmm. to understand what was going on and tried to rationalize it. But then when everything started happening and he was trying to figure out what's going on, this, this, and that, that's when like his anxiety started to peak and he started to mm-hmm. lose his mind and things started to happen constantly, constantly, constantly. Mm-hmm. So, it was for me the first and third person thing. It kind of happened on accident. Um, mm-hmm. I was writing the book in third person pretty much the whole time, but then I kind of got bored with it, and so mm-hmm. um, I I noticed like midway through the book I switched to I add I in there, and I switched to first person, and so then I started reading it and I was like this actually sounds pretty good. So I went back. And switched it. I made the odd, I think, believe the odd ones first person and the even ones third person. I'm not really sure how I did yeah. it. But then towards the end of the book, I don't know if you noticed it, but that third person actually was a third person. It was actually a person at the end of that book mm. that was watching or being a part of Gray's experience. Mm. I think I have a question. Yes. How in the hell did the baby come into this? <laughs> I don't think you can tell that one. <laughs> um, well, my question, before I answer your question, my question is, what did you take away from? What did that symbolize for you? I feel like the, I feel like the baby um, symbolizes inner child. Inner child? Yeah. 
Um, that's or it symbolizes the trauma he experienced as a child. I'll say that. Um, or I can I can kind of kind of counter that. What? I think that the baby represented the trauma of birth. Yeah. Because birth is very traumatic for babies. Mm-hmm. Because you're in this this comfortable space. You know, you chilling, you get everything you need. And then it's like, oh shit, I'm coming into this light and there's people and I don't know who the fuck that is. I don't know who this is. So it's like, yeah, I'm a baby. But then when, remember how last week I said that we remain stuck at the age where we receive the least love? Oh, child. So look at the part where, you know, his caretaker left him. Mm-hmm. And he couldn't understand what was going on. So then he found these people and they took him in. So it's like, okay. And that's where we were left at. We he had we were left at the place where he drew into himself to check out, to kind of basically nurture that child out of that stage. And it's like what Crystal says in the read, that inner parenting. Mm. It's like you got to parent your child. So yes. it's like, yeah, okay, yeah, you, you need what you need, but all right, we got to do this and we got to, you know, kind of bring you up to the next state. So if we can bring ourselves out of that that stage where we receive the, the least love, we can grow up into the person that we're supposed to be. But of course, you know, society and, and the pressures of things that, you know, need to happen right now and where we need to be as, you know, adults, that doesn't help. But you know, we do need to take the time to parent that inner child that was left at that age where love was was, with, was withdrawn from us. Beautifully said. Beautifully said. <laughs> so we're gonna get off of the book for a moment. Yeah. Um, not even a moment. Because we gotta pick your brain. We gotta yes. pick your brain. Yes. Oh, my brain. <laughs> Yes, we have to pick at it. You know, just like how you picked out anxiety, you gotta, you gotta pick at your brain. Come on with it. Come on. So, it's one thing that we, the the two of us are very vocal about, and that's anxiety. And it's one thing you and I actually identified and grew closer on. How do you deal with dating with anxiety, and what tips could you possibly give to someone that's dating that still is dealing with the trauma of anxiety? How do I deal with anxiety? Um, how do I deal with anxiety? Um, I use breathing techniques. I meditate often. Um, mm-hmm. As far as dating goes, I man, I've technically been single for about three years. I've dated, the last time I've dated somebody was like three or four months. It was last year around November. Um, I think through the relationship, I definitely had some anxiety because I was wondering you know, is this person good for me? Is this person this, this, that, and this, and that? Am I enough? Um, and that's usually the questions that I usually ask through most of my relationships. Am I enough? And I do that even outside of relationships. I do that with myself. Am I enough? Mm-hmm. Um, and I feel like for me, for me personally, loneliness is like the best way to cope with that. Um because you kind of have to force because you fall back on yourself and you kind of have to force yourself to heal 
you have to force yourself to get over things. You have to force yourself to be confident. You have to force yourself to do that, do this and that and this. Uh, and then after you force yourself to do that, you kind of take care of yourself better. Because um, mm-hmm. you treat yourself at that point because you know your value. Um, and I'm, I wouldn't say I'm still struggling with it, but there's some times and moments where I do take that, that dark route and I'm just like, what is my value? But then that's, I enjoy actually taking that dark route now because I come out of it and I'm like, I know my value. And mm. sometimes I just have to repeat to myself what my value is. Yes. Um, yes. That's probably why I'm still single because I end up dating or going on these dates where people are still struggling with their value. And in these dates, I end up, you know, consulting with them and telling them about themselves and uplifting them. And then out of it, I, I found myself like, that that was definitely beautifully said because I didn't think of that the way that you said it mm-hmm. and you know you do have a lot more people who are trying to figure out being comfortable in themselves where there are way less people who are like okay I kind of got this figured out or like you know I'm settled in my ways mm-hmm. and you know I've checked a lot of you know the the bad things about myself or I'm in the process of checking this, you know, the smaller things, mm-hmm. you know, yes. but, you know, I, you know, it's like, you know, people don't think that they could mesh with someone who hasn't figured out those issues. And, you know, I guess maybe you're kind of like me where I ain't got time for that shit. Yeah, I ain't got time for that issues and got, you know, <laughs> get myself through mine. So, and you know, we, we ain't going to do this. <laughs> the crazy part is that I've, I've, it's not that I really don't have time. It's just I've done it before and I've done mm-hmm. it many times and I just don't want to do it. I don't want to put myself through that again. Yes. So I and would that's. Rather you, like, you know, go through that process, heal the way you're supposed to instead of going out and trying to have somebody heal you. Heal yourself. That way exactly. we can both heal each other. Can you say it again? <laughs> heal yourself, please. One more time for the children back who sleep. I can't want more healing for you than you want for yourself. So you have to heal yourself first. Okay? Yes. Happiness is an internal motherfucking And job. see, what a lot of people think is that, oh, once I find some, you know, someone, they'll complete me or, you know, yes. they'll, you know, I'll be healed once I find this person. It's like, first no, of all, you're not healing, even takes place, healing takes place within the self. If you haven't dealt with the issues that make you who you are that makes you feel that you need to kind of check yourself in order to be able to deal with someone else you don't need to be in a relationship uh-uh. at all Period. you need to be looking in the mirror okay telling yourself what is wrong asking the proper questions and trying to deal with it before you go off and try to ask somebody else you know how they can help you with your situation they can't help you they're trying to help themselves I can't help you I'm trying to mm-hmm. live in this oppressive economy like you out here trying to live in this oppressive economy. Exactly. <laughs> it's like a life raft on the fucking boat. Like, I mean, I got to help myself before I help you. Hello. So. Exactly. Because what good am I to you if I'm dead, bitch? I don't know. What <laughs> I have learned, especially when it comes to dealing with anxiety, it's more so I don't, I guess maybe because I actually had like 
people we rarely have like real relationships or real interactions with people Mm -hmm. so i feel like when you date especially with anxiety i don't want to have to feel like this i don't want to have to feel this anxious feeling like what if this person isn't right Mm -hmm. and it's that that moment and that feeling is what makes it hard to date with anxiety it's more so i don't want you to trigger this feeling inside of me yes and finding the person that one is okay with themselves or knows themselves enough to be able to say, okay, I'm willing to date, opposed to someone that doesn't know themselves, someone that's trying to find themselves or believes that I'm a half that needs to be completed. Mm. I don't have time to complete you. I'm trying to complete my damn self. Hello. Come on. I don't have time to sit here and play your, I don't have time to play your mama or your daddy. I don't have time to sit here and chase after you. I'm not going through your phone. Ain't like I got time for that. We're grown. Exactly. Like my mantra every day is I got my own problems. I don't need you. I can't take yours on. I can't take on somebody else's. I got my own that I'm trying to deal with. And, you know, I'm very much, I'm such an introvert to where like my anxiety is like get away from people, stay away from all and anybody and anything that breathes and walks on two or four legs, just don't even do it. And I'm very much like that. Even when I was dating, I was so comfortable in my own space Mm. that where I didn't have the tolerance for people, like somebody could sneeze the wrong way on a Tuesday. I'm like, oh, you cancel. I can't do this no more. Like, then I had to kind of check myself like, all right, you know, you want to, you know, do certain things with a person and, you know, you want, you know, the ultimate goal for, for my life was to get married. So I'm like, I can't be like this if I want to get married. Like, okay. you know, if my husband decides he wants to breathe the wrong way on Tuesday, am I going to cancel this nigga? Like, no, you that's, know. That's mad stuff. That seems real stuff. After you've been alone and healed for so long, that's when you have to come out and step out of your shell and realize you got to go out. You got to get out. You got to meet people. You got to do that because... You say so Kuda for so long, you realize the world is a pretty crazy place and you don't want to get out there. So because we, we can't live in fear. That's what I refuse to do, to live in fear. I have anxiety moments and I'm not going to live in fear for anybody. Um, but So do you think that your dealings with anxiety has helped you largely write this book and, and others in your in your collection? For sure, definitely. Um, I feel like four walls wouldn't be four walls if I didn't experience the things that I experienced. It Uh definitely wouldn't be four walls if I wasn't willing to share the metaphorical experiences that I've had in my life. And even whoever Gray is in his spirit, whoever that is, whatever he experienced, I'm appreciative that I'm able to tell the story and a piece of my story and allow other people to grasp a piece of the story and make it into their own internalized for themselves. That's really what I really wanted the book to be for. I want it to be internalized. What did you get out of it? What are you questioning? What anxiety are you dealing with? What things have you not healed from? You know, I like that. And, And, you know, as a person who reads a lot of books, I like when authors write something that allowed me to draw my own conclusions mm-hmm. and with multiple readings I can draw different ones each time and it's not suggested to me how I should feel or how I should think or 
you know, anything about the story. And I, that's what I definitely liked about that. And now, you know, talking to you, it's like, oh, wow. Like, yeah, I think about, you know, I think about the little things that I kind of kept in my in my back pocket about that. And what it also leads me to ask you is what authors have inspired you to write in the style that you do? Oh, um, again, there weren't any authors that insp- I know that sounds horrible, but literally, I, <laughs> I honestly just sat down and wrote, wrote the book. Um, I, I would say, if anything, the only author that came to mind when I was writing the book, or the only inspiration that came to mind while I was writing the book, it was, it was a lot of music that I was listening to. Um, Definitely, Kendra Lamar is one of the people I listen to a lot in uh, Animal Collective. Uh, I said author, I meant music. Um, BBO. It was a lot of different odd, different sounds and people who spoke about real true events and experiences in their life and things that they've witnessed. It, mm-hmm. made, it inspired me to, to be as honest and as truthful as possible in the book mm-hmm. and to convey the message that I was trying to convey as as raw as possible while also making it to where you still interpret it your own way because like Mm -hmm. i said everybody i've spoken to it's it's a completely different story um and for me it kind of makes me i actually honestly to be quite honest with you i usually when i have conversations like this i don't even usually talk about my book i'm usually the one questioning people like what did you get out of it how did you feel about this what did you feel about that and it's usually me interviewing the person that I speak to about the book instead of them interviewing me. And they, no, but we here to interview you. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I'm just for me, this is different. I'm <laughs> me being questioned like this. It's different for me, but um, I'm usually on the other side of it, and it actually it makes me. I actually get more of a takeaway from it when I get answers from the people um, than them getting answers from me. I guess for me, mm-hmm. but. It wasn't anybody, no, it wasn't an author that inspired me. It was more so music that inspired me to write and what from, my, from what I pulled from. It's just the same way with my poetry. I usually listen to music and I hear something, I'm like, ooh, I want to stem off of that and write something about it. Hmm. So normally, as we begin to segue out, we normally end the show with a mental health tip. But seeing that you're our guest, you're going to be doing the mental health tip. Oh, wow. Yes, yes, absolutely. Oh God. Um, mental health tip: Do not be afraid to go into the dark. Mm. That is definitely the biggest tip that I would give anybody. A lot of people ignore the darkness. A lot of people don't like sleeping in the dark. A lot of people don't like silence. They are scared of and they're living in fear. Do not be afraid because once you go in, you realize it's not as scary and it makes you brighter. It makes your light shine brighter. It makes your aura brighter. Yes. It makes you not have as much fear when you come out of it. And you, you're more willing to tell people that I went in the dark and came out of it versus I'm just ignoring the darkness. And that's not how you operate. So don't yes. be afraid to go in the dark. Yes, because that's definitely part of like my life's work with um, psychology and PTSD. My whole focus is going through the emotions to get over them. Yes. So and and 
thinking about what you said, like, yo, I was like, I've been there to where I was in the dark and I was like, yo, I'm not going in that motherfucker. But then <laughs> someone was like, you know what? Just do it. You know, what's what's the worst that could happen? It's like either you scare yourself to where you need help or you figure something out about yourself exactly. and the people who triggered it when you come out of it. And it was it was it was just that. Mm-hmm. I realized things about myself and the people that triggered it mm-hmm. when I came out of it. Mm-hmm. I was like, I ain't got time for this. Oh, <laughs> I'm like, you could have had a bad bitch. Yeah, that was that was that was me when I came out of my dark. So I mean, some people aren't as fortunate, but I definitely believe go through it to to get over it. Mm-hmm. And you know, basically, like you said, DeAndre, it's like you. There are things that we need to learn about ourselves, but unless we go through those dark, muddy parts of our of our psyche, we ain't gonna figure that out. You know what? I have a quick one for this before we exit. Um, I never forget when I was start when I was. It was beyond like just in um, anxiety and depression. I think it was like starting to have suicidal thoughts, mm-hmm. and I spoke to my best friend about it. And she said, "Okay, now I want you to think about this. Mm-hmm. Let's say you do what you're thinking in your mind that needs to happen. What would happen?" And she's like, "Would you really do it?" I'm like, "Hell no!" She's like, "Why?" I was like, because I hurt myself. She said, okay, so then you really don't want to do that to yourself. Oh, see, I got worse than you. I've actually attempted twice. I remember, with you. I've actually attempted. <laughs> I, I remember sitting in my second bedroom, because this was when, well, my when my fiance was my boyfriend at the time. We used to get up at 4.30 in the run. And I mean, I would get that runner's high where I feel so great. And I, you know, come back, take a shower, and lay back down for work. But it was one time I got really depressed, like really, really depressed. And I remember I, I got up, I grabbed the knife out of the kitchen. I went in my second bedroom. You know where my second bedroom was. Uh-huh. So I went in the second bedroom and I sat on the floor. And I just held the knife in my hand and I just cried and cried and cried and cried. I started to cut a little bit and I just kind of laid back and I cried and cried and cried. And I was like, I don't want to die like this. I can't do it. I can't do it. And what keeps me from doing it is, okay, my boyfriend walks in here and finds me. He's only, not only is he going to lose his fucking mind, but how is he going to tell my family what happened to me? Mm-hmm. So, you know, sometimes you kind of got to like, huh, you know, I can't even really find the words for it. But sometimes it gets hard. It does. Yeah. It does. I, I definitely want to say I appreciate you sharing that story with us because I know that's you definitely had to heal from that situation in order to tell that story like that. You too. Mm. Yes. So where can people find you? And let alone where can they find your book? Yes, because I need to buy that. Because I need to. I need to. Yeah. <laughs> um, I need. I need some things out <laughs> uh, <laughs> um right now you can find it on amazon um wattpad and uh goodreads i believe um, i'm trying to get it on many different places it will be 
on about 37 different places, 37,000 different places in the next couple of days, actually. Um, but you can find me on Instagram at I am DeAndre or my uh, writing page at um, Dre the Writer. And everywhere it's DeAndre Mathis, Facebook, Twitter, all of it. So. So what is so before we go, what is one fun fact about you that you would like people to know? Hmm. I feel like people think that I am this extroverted, outgoing, <laughs> crazy individual, and I'm not, I'm none of that. I'm very introverted. I'm shy as hell. I'm very quiet, but I'm pretty nice. So, like, if you see me, just come over to me and talk to me. Um, I am not going to scare you. I'm not going to put you off. I'm not going to do any of that. Just come up and talk to me. That's definitely, like, a thing that I found out with a lot of people, especially since this book has come out. They think that I'm not humble or I'm out of, I'm in a whole different state or of mind, place, and everything. And it's not even the case. I'm just... I'm very focused, and I think people get scared of people who are focused. And, uh-huh. and I'm not going, I'm not so focused to the point where I'm cutting off people. It's just, you know, I'm so focused that I want to make sure I get my stuff done while also you being in my life as well. But definitely come up to me. Don't be scared of me. <laughs> and one more thing if you had any advice for any writers that are blocked or sitting on books, that they are afraid to, you know, get out into the world. What advice do you have for them? Um, good question. For black writers, I would say, be aware of your circle. Mm-hmm. Be aware of who you confide into. Be aware of who you're showing your art to, your work to. Be aware of it because these people. I mean, you're working on your your project, obviously, but the people that surround you are the people that really are going to make or break your project. They are the people that you fall back to and, and you ask, is this good enough? That you ask, what do you think of this? So you need honest people who are in the right mindset for that because I definitely believe if it wasn't for the for Suede Lacey and for Fabian Mitchell, and for uh, Mello Williams, I would not have gotten the book to the place where it is now, um, for sure. And, and a lot of other people that I've shared the book to with, I definitely wouldn't be able to get the book where it is now without being aware of my circle. Mm-hmm. And I would say for writers in general, write every day. Um, for me, I make it like a, a two, one or two thousand, uh, one or two thousand word limit for myself. Um, where I just sit down and write a thousand words. It could be nothing that don't even make any sense. But eventually you will make the sense out of the words. You just have to get it all out. And I think that's what people, that's what holds people back because they try to edit and write at the same time. But just write and then edit after. Just get it out. Hmm. Just so basically just do it. Just do it. <laughs> just, just do it. And be aware. Exactly. Just go balls to the wall, put it out there. And... I'm telling you. I'm telling you, that's what most people do. Like, I feel like a lot of people think there's a process to it all. And it's, well, for me, there's no process. It's just really me sitting down, getting it all out, looking at it and being like, this shit don't make no sense. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and trying to make sense out of it. <laughs> but you know, that's kind of like 
I mean, I, I do my own writing too. I used to like write P2K fan fiction. That's an embarrassing fact about me. Um, <laughs> but it, it, oh, wait, 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 wait. You did what? I used to write B2K fan fiction on the on the message board. Oh my god! <laughs> oh my god! Yes, I do. Talk about myself. I actually really love anime, and I actually at one point was trying to write a manga. I think I still want to produce a manga. I don't know if y'all endowed with anime, but I love anime. So. One day I'm have to put out a mango, but kudos to you for writing beaches. Look, <laughs> what was that? I said kudos for you for writing, cause yeah, I mean I I like writing. I guess mainly because my grandmother was one, and she actually has a poem, um, published in the New York Museum. Yeah, so my grandmother was a writer. So that's when a, I started like writing papers for school and like you know even what without my mom kind of helping me she's like you really have like a real, unreal knack for writing and it's like yeah I used to write my little fan fictions in my little five subject notebooks and shit and all that but <laughs> you know writing is really therapeutic I don't know if it is for you but oh, it is. it is very therapeutic and that's what I do like I do journaling like, especially when I'm feeling really overwhelmed with my emotions, I write everything out. It doesn't matter how coherent it is, how neat it is. I'm just writing everything out, even if it's just random words. That's and then exactly. I, I just, like, I come out of it, I close the book, I take a second, and I read it again. And I'm like, yo, why were you feeling like this? What triggered this? You know, I'm kind of like being a psychologist for myself. Like, what triggered this? Oh, maybe this is this. You know, so writing really does help with a lot of shit. And not only does it help you with a lot of stuff, but it helps you escape a lot of stuff too. Just for escape. Not that you're running away from anything, but it just kind of brings you out of reality for that one minute. And you'd be so surprised, you'd be so stuck in writing that a lot of your reality makes it into what you're writing. Man, look. Lenny got the best co-host. <laughs> <laughs> and on that note, we are going to wrap this episode. DeAndre, thank you so much for taking the time out to coming on and speak to us. Thank no, you. Thank you. Thank you. Love your blessings. I appreciate it. Go buy his book. Support black people and their writing and their their truths in their lives. Just support yes. black creators, period. Exactly. Period. <laughs> And we will see you guys next week. Peace out. Thank you, DeAndre. Thank y'all again. I really appreciate y'all. No worries. No problem. Bye. Bye. All right.